Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the singers. Thank you for that song, a cornerstone that the builders rejected, of a whole new world. Oh, we need. Given what's been happening, Father, we need that cornerstone right now. So, Jesus, have at it. Please, just kind of keep me out of the way. May be clear enough what we're about to share so that we know what we must do. You speak, we listen. In the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen. Something happened in this sanctuary on Thursday. And it had God's fingerprints all over it. I've never seen anything like it. I've been attending chapels for over 30 years. Never, never one like this one. And strangely enough, it all began the weekend before, last weekend. A little video clip produced and released by some black students here at the university along with their campus pastor. Hashtag, it is time, AU. I saw the clip on Sunday. A hundred thousand others saw it by the end of the week. And I can summarize, I think, the message of that clip, simple message really, something like this. It's time for the faith community that is on this campus, that owns this university, to own up to the racial injustices against black students in the past, as well as to a lack of sensitivity to and representation of black students in the present. It's time to respond with an apology. And so when the word went out, at the speed of light, by the way, through social media, the word, the news that the university and its administration had not only heard these black students' message, but would present a formal response to their appeal at Thursday Chapel. I felt like the whole world was here. I've never seen a chapel so packed in my life. <laughs> By the way, at the faculty staff forum, the Tuesday before this Thursday, somebody near the end of the forum got up and said, yo, I, I think we need to have, we need to call for a day of fasting and prayer on the campus of Andrews University. And so Lee Chaplin, June Price, and I were tasked with spending Tuesday evening crafting a call to prayer and fasting. Went out Wednesday morning to every student, every faculty member, every staff member in this institution of higher learning. And the suggested day of prayer was, okay, Wednesday 7 p.m. to Thursday 7 p.m. Well, the beauty of that is Wednesday 7 p.m., we're here, house of prayer, on the beginning of that day of fasting and prayer. And so we could not, not come from out of the pews onto this platform and pray for the woman who would stand in less than 24 hours at this spot and who would address this institution and through live streaming a whole lot more. And so we prayed for three, three categories. One, the president. Two, the students. Three, 
the faculty and staff, three volunteers, two of whom I've never met. I, I could not tell you their names, but I want to tell you, I want to testify to the passion and the earnestness of those three prayers. And everybody on this platform is swept into those prayers as they ascend to the throne of God. And so because it was a day of fasting and prayer, when I walked into this chapel uh, space on Thursday morning, I'm coming with a, with a sense of expectancy as well. Turns out everybody else was, too. I'm not going to rehearse what took place during those 50 minutes in this space. You can watch the entire service on YouTube now. But I can only tell you that in the context of a day of fasting and prayer, my spirit immediately recognized there's something going on here. From the opening prayer to the final prayer of appeal, both delivered by two of our chaplains. For me, it was absolutely crystal clear that the Spirit was in our midst, moving the details. I sat in a, in a group of black students, listening keenly, every one of them, me too. And I'm starting to get moved by what's happening here, from the prayer at the beginning to the end and in between. The president, in her own gracious, humble way, begins to speak from her heart. She goes to Mark 2. Uh, I've never heard anybody interpret the story in Mark 2 the way she did. And I said to myself, Holy Spirit, way to go. You got it. You can just go. You watch it on YouTube. And I'm beginning to resort to the universal motion for emotion. You know what that universal motion for emotion is? And I'm seeing the students around me going like this. God was here. He was moving on us all. But for worship this morning, in the same space, here we are, exactly two days later, we have not come to rehearse what has already happened. Rather, we must seriously ponder now. Come on. We've got to ponder now what needs to happen next. Right here in this campus church, it's the only space I can talk to. But in the, in, the, in the space of faith community churches all across this nation, and I'm thinking of America right now, what is it that God would have us as Seventh-day Adventists do next? I'm talking about racial reconciliation. I'm talking about the unspoken, unhidden agenda that, like the proverbial elephant, is sitting on top of us whenever we gather as blacks and reds and yellows and whites and browns in one space. That elephant is sitting on all of us, and we know exactly what it is. It's racism. It may not look like the 1950s and the 1960s. It is very subtly different, perhaps, but it's still racism. And the truth is, racism, <clears throat> racism did not disappear on Thursday. Today is Sabbath. A new day and a new week are about to begin. We need to confront. We need to confront the truth. I wrote my weekly blog on Wednesday. And with your permission, I'm going to read that blog right now. Like I'm going to read it without your permission. But the, you can get the blog, by the way, online. And if you, go to the, if you go to my blog online, at the bottom of the blog will be a link to everything that happened Thursday. Andrews University, everything. So the title of the blog is, How Can You Heal the Pain When You Can't Feel the Pain? 
www.newperceptions.tv. Those of you watching right now, live streaming from somewhere on earth, or you're watching it later on a television program. The blog begins this way. How can you heal someone's pain when you can't feel someone's pain? There is a pain deep within our faith community and our university campus. And the truth is most of us can't feel it. How could we possibly feel it? We're white. Years ago, a friend gave me a book that I never got around to reading until a few days ago. It's Paul Kivel's Exploration titled, Upending Racism, How White People Can Work for Racial Justice. One glance at the title back then, and I knew this wouldn't be a book for me, since I'm not a racist, since I see very little of any racism around me, so why should I worry? That was 20 years ago. Now the book speaks volumes to me. I'll put a few words from the book on the screen for you. It is not, this is Kibble writing, it is not necessarily a privilege to be white, but it certainly has its benefits. Privileges are economic extras that those of us who are middle class and wealthy gain at the expense of poor and working class people of all races. Now, hold on. Benefits, on the other hand, are the advantages that all white people gain at the expense of people of color, regardless of economic position. Just because we don't have the economic privileges of those with more money doesn't mean we haven't enjoyed some of the benefits of being white." End quote. And then Kivel runs through, for me, an eye-opening checklist of such privileges. And this is just six of them. They're two pages worth in his book. Let me run six of them by. One, we, whites, are able to count on police protection rather than harassment. Two, we're able to choose where we want to live with safe neighborhoods and decent schools. Three, we are given more attention, respect, and status in conversations than people of color. Four, in news, music, history, books, and the media, we see people who look like us in a positive light. Five, we have more access, credibility, and recourse with lawyers and courts. Six, nothing that we do is qualified, limited, discredited, or acclaimed simply because of our racial background." End quote. And then he says, by the way, that's not when you're an adult. It, white privilege actually starts when you are a child. And he runs by five. One, people around us will have higher expectations for us as children. Two, more money will be spent on our schools. Three, we'll get called on more times in class. Four, we will see people who look like us in our textbooks. Five, and if we get into trouble, adults will expect us to be able to change and improve and therefore will discipline or penalize us less or differently than children of color." End quote. Kivel concludes his words on the screen. All else being equal, it pays to be white. We will be accepted, acknowledged, and given the benefit of the doubt. Since all else is not equal, we each receive different benefits or different levels of the same benefits from being white. So the question repeats itself. How can you possibly heal someone's pain when you can't feel someone's pain? The blog, moving to its wrap, asked the Good Samaritan. The crime victim was a Jew, and the Jews hated Samaritans. So why should the Samaritan bother at all? He couldn't feel the victim's pain. But as Martin Luther King, Jr. observed about Jesus' parable, whereas the priest and the Levite fretted, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? The, the, the Samaritan asked, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? And there's a universe of difference. I got that from a biography of... Martin Luther that I have in my li library, let the trumpet sound. What will happen to him? What will happen to her? What will happen to them if I don't stop and pour myself into their pain? 
It's the golden rule hammered out in the crucible of another's pain. The Samaritan knelt beside the victim and administered to him the emotional and physical intervention the brutalized man desperately needed. And in his self-sacrificial love for his neighbor, we see not only the truth about Christ who knelt beside us at Calvary, because that's exactly what Jesus did at the cross. He knelt beside us. But we also see the truth Christ calls his radical followers to embrace. As you would have others treat you, you treat them. Final line, there is a pain deep within our faith community and our university campus. It may not be your pain, but until it becomes your business, the pain, plain and simple, cannot and will not be healed in the school, in the church, in our own hearts. The end. A young friend of mine, an African-American attorney, wrote me after reading the blog, Pastor Dwight. How's everything going? I pray and hope that you are doing well. First of all, I want to let you know that I was deeply moved by your blog yesterday. What I connected with most was the genuine spirit, capital S, spirit behind it. As you prepare to minister this coming Sabbath, I feel impressed to simply say, don't hold back. I don't know what God is impressing upon you to say, but I implore you to let the Spirit lead you as you help shepherd PMC, AU Campus, and the surrounding community through this process of transparency and healing. And then he observes, we are at a critical point in our church's history, and I believe that we are at a time in which we will no longer be able to hide from these questions and sweep things under the rug, regardless of how folks may feel about the method chosen by the It Is Time AU team. It has brought us to this critical moment, and there is no turning back. No going back to the old passive, non-confrontational fairy tale of post-racial harmony that we have tried to convince ourselves is true, knowing all along it was a lie. It is time for us, all of us, to take a look in the mirror and start getting unapologetically real with ourselves and with each other. I want you to know that I'm praying for you. We are stronger together, and we will make it through these difficult days with our eyes fixed on the promise that He will be with us, guide us, hold us, carry us, and empower us until our faith is made sight. Let me know if there's any way I can be of assistance to you. With love and respect, He signs His name. Now, he does not know, this Andrews University alum, he does not know that when he sent me that email, before I read it, I was on my knees because I'm writing a sermon for Sabbath. It's the next in this series. But all the while that I'm writing, and it's now getting late in the afternoon, there's just this sense that maybe I should not be writing this sermon. Maybe I should be writing another sermon right now. And finally, I, went to, I was so bothered by it, I went to my knees and I said, God, what's going on here? I said, God, it's, it's, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I can't... I, I need to know very clearly whether you want this or not. And so here's the deal. I'm giving you 30 minutes. 30 minutes. You send me a text. You send me a phone call. Somebody walk into my room. Somebody sends me an email. I don't care. You send... In 30 minutes, you get word to me. And then I went back to my knees, prayed for a bit, got up and said, man, I can't sit around here. I've got to keep working on the sermon. So I kept writing. And I finally looked down at my watch. It was uh, 34 minutes past 3. I went to my phone. 
I said, uh, no, no text messages, no phone messages. Well, I'm going to try email. So I go email, and I see his name, and I see the email, and I open it up, what I just read to you, and God said to me, boy, that's your answer. And it was my answer. So I pushed everything aside and said, okay, it's 4 o'clock now. Let's start over. So here we are, you and I, in a predominantly white congregation. Just look around. Pretty much unaware, at least I was, that we have grown up, all of us whites, with a legacy of white privilege. And if I might be honest with you, because I've recognized this in my own heart, we have unconsciously, and by the way, that's a key word, that's a key word, we have unconsciously, because nobody sets out to embrace racial bias. We have unconsciously grown up with a modified Jewish male prayer. God, I thank you. I was not born a pagan. I was not born a woman. And I was not born black. Why? Because you don't have to be a genius to know that if you're a white, and particularly if you're a white male in this country, you live with a package of privileges and prerogatives, of advantages and accoutrements that your black neighbors and your black colleagues and your black friends never get to live with. Never, never, never. And you know, by the way, listen to me carefully now, you know they know. But you pretend you don't know. Mm-hmm. We pretend we don't know that all this fuss about justice and, and equality is a carryover. It's a vestige from a generation long ago. But when I read Kivel's book, I suddenly realized how much white privilege it has been my privilege to enjoy. And that, my white friends, is what those black students were reacting to when they said, enough is enough. It is time to fish or cut bait. Take a week to decide how to respond, but respond you must. It was not an ultimatum. Now, looking at it through our white privileged glasses, it may have felt like an ultimatum. It was not. It was a plea. We know that you know that we know you live with white privilege. So what, we are asking, would, will you do for us? Don't tell us manana. We need to know now. That was the plea. And they're right. We must respond. And I want to say on behalf of nobody, and that's generally the best person to be talking for, I want to say on behalf of nobody that I must respond. Our president, with humility and clarity, announced the beginning of Andrews University's response. And I will do all I can to help in any way to assist her and this university in a continuing response. You know why? Because I happen to believe God's promise, and I know that you do too. And I'll put the promise on the screen for you. Philippians 1.6. I love this promise. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. God never starts something that He doesn't finish. And I'm telling you, He started something on Thursday. His fingerprints were all over this place. And so we can't just twiddle our thumbs now and sit back, well, by the day of Jesus Christ, come on, even so, come, Lord Jesus, get it done, get it done. No, Jesus says, I'm not coming. You got work to do. Don't you keep praying that prayer, even so, come, Lord Jesus, until you do what the Lord Jesus has commanded you to do. You obey me. When you obey me, you will do what I'm asking you to do. 
And then you'll heal, you'll heal this gaping wound in yourself. What wound? What command? The 11th commandment. Come on. I want you to look it up. Come on, in your Bible. Now, John chapter 13. You got a Bible? Pull your Bible out. John chapter 13. Red letter words. This is, this is less than 12 hours, and Jesus will be about 12 hours. He'll be, he'll be hanging on the cross. He will die. He knows he's going to die. He's on death row, but before he dies, something is passionately important to him, and he gets it out. Thirty-one times in this passage, he will use the word love. Thirty-one times. I've counted them. This is not a little passing fancy. Verse 34, red letters, a new commandment I give you. John 13, 34, and 35, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to admit that the 11th commandment is all about racial reconciliation. If it's about anything, it's about racial reconciliation. It has to be. Within the faith community, which means to experience racial reconciliation, we must take two steps. Let me share with you these two steps and then one story, and I'm done. All right? Two steps. No study guide. You're just going to get it. Two steps. Step number one, we must admit our white privilege. Read it on the screen so that it sticks in your mind. Don't just listen to my voice. We must admit our white privilege. I'm not saying we must confess it. No, no, no. We were born into it. Never chose it. Never thought about it even. Not enough to care. But racial reconciliation must begin with us admitting that we have lived, we have profited, we have flourished because of white privilege. And by not knowing that, or by at least ignoring it, we have inadvertently forced others who are not white like us to live without those privileges, without those benefits, even in the church. The church has some undoing to do at the national level. I'm absolutely convinced of it. But that's not my business. That's for somebody with a higher pay grade to deal with. All we can deal with is the local church, and that's where we ought to keep our attention. Want to talk about this local church? One of the privileges we enjoy as a house of prayer for all people is this spacious sanctuary. It's my favorite place on earth. Middle of the night, when there's nobody here but me and God, middle of the day, on a Sabbath, it's just a beautiful place. We are here in this space while our friends at New Life, mm-hmm, a predominantly African-American worship community on campus, are packed into the seminary chapel, and they're given one shot at that space, one shot, spilling out into the atrium, wherever they can find space. And here we are, a hundred yards away, and we have space to spare. White privilege. Could it be that there is some way to share space? Step number one, we must admit our white privilege. Until we do, we will never take step number two. Promise. I promise you, we'll never take it. What's step number two on the screen? We must relinquish. We must relinquish our white privilege. How? Really, really, hey, folks, this is not complicated at all. You're going to be surprised at this. Listen, the best and most effective way to relinquish your privilege is to simply make sure everyone enjoys the same privilege. Then it's no longer a privilege. It's a blessing shared. The moment we release it as mine, it's over. It's no longer a privilege because everybody gets it. 
That didn't hurt, did it? No. Red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in His sight. We've been taught since knee-high to a grasshopper to sing those words, and we have. And if it takes somebody coming up to me and say, Hey, by the way, Dwight, I see that you enjoy a privilege I've never been granted. Do you know what my response needs to be? It needs to be, you know what? I didn't realize that. Let me go to work to make sure this privilege is also yours, and then it'll be a shared blessing. Right? We got work to do. We got to go to work. Well, I'll let them do it. Well, I'll let the, I'll, I'll let the university do it. We're a campus church, so we don't have to do it because we're, we're part community, part uh, campus anyway. Good luck, Andrews University. We're cheering you on. We're praying for you. No, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't. We can't get... That, that'd, be, that'd be asinine. We have to respond. Relinquish white privilege. Because until we're sitting together at the same table and transparently, authentically listening to our black brothers and sisters, we will never spot the privileges we've taken for granted all our lives as whites. I repeat, the best way for us to step away from our white privilege is to devote our lives to making certain everyone enjoys the same privilege we benefit from. And since privileges are never skin color based, and since God's blessings and benefits are never skin color based, we've had to find a way. We have to do something. What did Jesus say? A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this the whole world, I love that, by this the whole world will know you are my people if you have love for one another. Our journey towards obedience of the eleventh commandment began on Thursday. It is now Sabbath. Tomorrow a new week and a new chapter begins. But it must begin with you and me and all of us sitting at the same table. I need to hear your story. I need you to be honest about the pain that you suffer. Because until we share our stories, we will never share our pain. And until we share our pain, we will never find the healing that we desperately need. Can't. We can't. And by the way, until we share our pain and find that healing, a nation that is fractured and broken and bleeding to the core racially will never think to look at this faith community for help. Their shadows will never darken our doors because they say, you got the same problem we do. What good is your belief? The great Christian apologist of the 20th century, C.S. Lewis, got a letter one day from an American woman. She might have read something that he had written, or she had a question and thought, I'll write to this bright mind in England, across the pond. So she sent the letter. Lewis read the letter. Something prompted He was a gracious man, and he answered much of his correspondence. So something prompted him. He said, I'll, I'll answer her. So he answers her. I don't know how much time goes by. Mail traveled a little slower back in the 60s before he died. But another letter, another letter comes from the woman. Another question, another comment. He picks his pen up, shoots an answer back. 
Soon the letters are going like this. They never met face to face. This was not, these are not love letters. She was just writing the great mind, the great man, and asking him. He died. The day JFK was assassinated, he died. The world, his death is totally obscured by the tragedy here. She eventually died. And her family, get this, her family took the letters that she had received from C.S. Lewis, went to a pub publisher. They didn't have her letters. Those are gone. All they had were his answers. They gave them to a publisher, and the publisher says, we can do this, and published the letters under the title, Letters from an American Lady. A friend of mine gave me the book. I read the book, and near the end of the book, guess what? C.S. Lewis talks about Seventh-day Adventists. I'm telling you the truth. This woman apparently has had an experience with a Seventh-day Adventist. Fortunately, it was a positive one. I'm just saying. She writes to him about it and says, tell me, what do you know about these people? Verbatim now. He writes back these words on the screen for you. What you say about the seven, ooh, I like that, the seven-day Adventists. That's what we ought to call ourselves, really. Come on. We're not Adventists one day of the week. We're Adventists seven days of the week. What you say about, and he uses the Roman numeral here, what you say about the seven-day Adventists interests me extremely. If they have so much charity, there must be something very right about them. Wow. Bright mind across the pond. I don't know anything about these Evans, but if they have that kind of love, there must be something very right about them. By this, all people will know, they will know beyond the shadow of a doubt, you are my people because you love each other. Let the word go forth that in this church of blacks and whites and all, there is something very right about us, and that something is a someone, and His name is Jesus. That's the truth. Let's pray. Oh, God, please do whatever it takes. Thursday's gone. Sabbath will end. The next chapter. Please lead us to do what our hearts compel us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take out your Connect card. Take out your Connect card, please. Thank you. Bless you. Take out your Connect card, and we have some guests with us. Fill out the front of the card to the degree that you are comfortable. Turn the card over. Here, here, here are some suggestions. Look, at what do I do? Do I come on? What, what do I do now? Okay, box number one. I want to reflect and practice the self-sacrificing love of Jesus with all races. Is there somebody here who says, no, I don't want to do that? No, of course. We all want to put a check mark there. Put a check mark there. Box number two, I recognize I have benefited from white privilege and want to now seek to extend those privileges to all races. I want you to listen very carefully to me now because somebody came to me after First Church. I want you to listen to this because you're looking at this and say, Dwight, okay, I like these white privileges. Yeah, so what am I supposed to do? Well, let me tell you something. Economically, economically, you can do something. 
You can, you know, we have a little we, a Pioneer Campus. In fact, I worshiped with them last Sabbath. First Sabbath, uh, first service rather, Pathfinders, beautiful service. Went up to Harbor of Hope for second service and just had a wonderful time. Look, you want to do something, but you don't want to get anything on you? Write a check. Write a check to Harbor of Hope. Make it a nice check. They desperately need support, financial support. We're trying the best we can with the offerings you give here to Master Plan. We're trying to give some of that to help them, but boy, they could use that help. So just write out a check, mark it on your tithe envelope, Harbor of Hope. That's it. Somebody, a, a couple saw me after the service, first service, and said, You know what, Dwight? You know what we need? You know what we ought to do? Okay, look at this is not anything that we've formally organized yet. You understand? They said, You know what we ought to do? We ought to start a black student scholarship. We ought to start a black student scholarship and invite people to put, invest money in that, put that money, make it available for kids. They get, they get, there are no inheritances. There are no inheritances. What the, white, what the white community lives with, a lot of inheritance, you know, there's something passed on. Most, no inheritance. It's just, you made it. God be with you. They have no, there are no, there are no nest eggs to bring to put anybody through school, private school. So what would happen? Well, they said, well, by the way, we'll put $1,000 down if you ever do that. I said, bless you. I'll get back in touch with you. We're going to set up a task force and just look at some, some of the ways we might tend, uh, uh, concretely respond. Uh, by the way, if you, want, you want to talk about white privilege? You got education nobody else gets. And you got it in a way that was very comfortable and just lovely for you. Take that education now and do some. You want to use your, your benefit, the privilege? In the evening, Andrews University is working on, on uh, after-school tutoring. In the evening, make yourself available. I will tutor students who need somebody to help them read, somebody to work through math or whatever it is. Just give her yourself. That's called sharing your privilege. Listen, you're a bright mind. You'll know what to do. Uh, box number three. I would like to be part of a guided mixed-race group conversation to hear the stories of others. You know, we have enough sociologists sitting right here right now. There's got to be a sociologist, one of you, who could say, hey, I, Dwight, I could moderate that group because I have no idea what this group would look like. But it would be mixed race, and it would be guided so that in authenticity, with transparency, we share our stories. It begins with knowing the story. If you'd be interested in being a part of a group, just put a check mark there. Put your email address. We'll get back in touch with you. Put a check mark there. Now, if you are a sociologist or somebody who works in this kind of a milieu, then would you please put your name down and say, hey, Dwight, I'd be willing to do it. I'll be in touch with you. Just put, make sure we have a phone number or an email address. Let's try it. Let's do it. Come on. Oh, by the way, what we talked about last Sabbath we were together, why don't you have people over for dinner? There's nothing like a cottage cheese loaf over which to talk, share each other's stories. I don't know what it is about cottage cheese loaves, but they just loosen the tongue. They just... Yeah, anyway. So have, them, have, have another family join you. Come on, have another family join you. You have dinner together. Hey, tell me a story. I want to tell you ours. Has two families, three, whatever. We need to begin to hear each other's story. We don't need some kind of moderated group. Well, I've got to be in that moderated group to own No, you don't. You just do it yourself. This is not rocket science. You can do it. We can do it. I must do it. 
And finally, number four, Pastor Rodney, just a moment ago, please send me information on the How to Share Your Faith and Give Bible Studies training event this coming weekend. Please do. It's a dynamite uh, training package. You're going to love it. If, we, if you'll just put your email address down, we'll send the information to you, and you, you can be a part of that. You'll get blessed to the max. We must do something. We cannot just sit here and hear Jesus say, love one another, and then walk away. We can't. We can't. We can't. And I know you won't. I know I won't.